Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. Tonight's case begs the question, is there ever a legitimate reason to kill another human being like self-defense? And at what point does killing no longer qualify as self-defense but murder? Neil Tully was a 54-year-old stepfather to two older children, 23-year-old Joshua Ellis and his little brother, 14-year-old Jerome Ellis, who he didn't get along with. The Ellis brothers had a dysfunctional childhood, which would only get worse when they moved into their mother's home where she lived with Neil. Neil was known to be a violent drunk with a criminal history filled with abuse. One night, as he slept on the living room sofa, the two boys decided they had had enough and attacked him with two kitchen knives in a stabbing that was so brutal that he was nearly decapitated. Though there was a pattern and a history of violence towards the boys, Neil was asleep when the vicious murder happened. So was this truly a case of self-defense or something else altogether? Let's jump right in. The Ellis family was anything but functional. Gary and Marie Ellis would marry in 1990, with their first son, Joshua, being born shortly afterward. Unfortunately, it wasn't a happy marriage. Instead, it was one filled with alcoholism and physical abuse, yet Gary and Marie Ellis continued to try to make it work for many years. Nine years after their first son was born, they would have another little boy named Jerome. Jerome practically worshipped the ground that his older brother walked on, despite the fact that they were very different kids. Joshua was described as very sensitive, so all of the abusive words and behaviors really affected him mentally. He dreamed of growing up to join the military or law enforcement, but his father constantly tore him down and made him feel like he would never amount to anything. As a result, Joshua would suffer from depression from a very early age because of all of the toxicity that was around him. His self-confidence was pretty much non-existent. Things only got worse in the Ellis family home when, after one particularly brutal fight, Marie decided to leave Gary and to file for divorce. 
She decided not to take either of her sons with her, so they remained in the home being raised by their abusive alcoholic father. Joshua was pretty much the sole care provider for his little brother Jerome. Since his father was completely incapable of taking care of them, he was the one who took over most of the parental responsibilities, despite the fact that he suffered terribly from depression and social anxiety. When Joshua was 16 years old, things became too intolerable in the home, so he moved out of his father's house, and then he asked his mother if he could live with her. Marie was now living about an hour away. She was remarried to a man named Neil Tully, and together they had three daughters of their own. When this teenage boy came knocking on the door asking to move in, Neil wasn't too pleased. They didn't live in luxury, so they gave him a room in the attic, which was more than what Neil had initially wanted to do, but Marie was happy to have her boy finally living with her. If Joshua was hoping that things would get better at his mother's house, he would be wrong. He desperately wanted to finish off high school. He only had another year or so left, and he needed to get the diploma in order to get his dream job in law enforcement. His stepfather, Neil, had other ideas. He constantly pressured Joshua to quit school and to get a job instead so that he could help with bills or even better yet, he could get a job and finally move out. Joshua became even more depressed. He felt like a complete burden on the family, like he was unwanted by both his mother and his father. While Joshua was living with his mom and his stepdad, Jerome remained at the Ellis home with their father for the most part, but he missed his brother dearly. Without his father knowing, he would sneak out to make the trip to visit with his older brother. Jerome spent the rest of his time focusing on school. He was a grade A student despite the fact that his time at home was spent caring for his alcoholic father. Still, as Jerome got older and became a teenager, his father Gary began to fight with him the exact same way that he used to fight with Joshua. One night, they would get into this huge argument, and at just 11 years old, Jerome was kicked out of his father's home and told to go live with his mother. As you can imagine, Marie's husband and Joshua and Jerome's stepfather, Neil, he was furious when yet another son showed up at the front door, needing a place to live. This time, he tried to put his foot down with Marie, arguing that there wasn't any space for Jerome to move in. They already had Joshua still living in the attic, along with their own three daughters. Marie was far from the perfect mother, but she didn't want to turn away her child. This was kind of a second chance opportunity for her since she had basically left them. She told Jerome that he could sleep on the living room couch, much to Neil's disdain. Jerome enrolled in his new school and he really thrived in the classroom. Several school administrators noticed that he never had a school lunch with him and would come to class hungry. There was concern that he was being neglected in his mother's house, so a social worker was called to the home to do a visit. 
The house where Jerome lived with his mother, stepfather Neil, stepsisters, and older brother Joshua was described as being very dirty and cluttered. In speaking with the kids, they learned that on top of the house being in complete disarray, Neil Tully was also an aggressive alcoholic. Neil worked as a builder and a painter by day, and at night, he became a violent drunk in his pastime. Though Joshua and Jerome had escaped their father, they now had to deal with the same issues with their stepfather. Joshua continued to lock himself in the attic, only coming out to go to school or to work at his part-time job as he battled with his depression and social anxiety. This left Jerome to care for his three younger stepsisters and his mother. Marie has been described as lazy and someone who preferred to watch children's programs. Others have said that she loved her children, however, she was simply overborne with the responsibility of her five kids and, on top of that, dealing with an alcoholic husband. Neil and Marie fought even worse than she had with her ex-husband. Neil had a police record prior to ever meeting Marie, however, he would catch several new domestic abuse charges over the years since they married. With her two elder sons now living in a very crowded home, the tension between Neil and Marie, it continued to get worse. One night, Neil and Marie were fighting once again, and Jerome woke up to find Neil strangling his mother. He yelled for his big brother Joshua to come downstairs and help. Luckily, they were able to intervene and to break up the fight right before the situation became worse. Neil was drinking now more than ever, and then coming home and fighting with Marie about bills and wanting her boys to move out. Neil also fought all of the time with both Joshua and Jerome, and he was a very mean drunk. During one alcohol-infused fight, Neil threatened to kill Joshua. This was nothing new. Neil constantly threatened to kill whoever was his target at the time. However, on this occasion, Neil actually ran out of the house to the backyard and he grabbed an axe. He came back into the home and he swung the axe directly at Joshua. Thankfully, Joshua caught it. The pair wrestled and he managed to get the axe out of his hands. The police were called and Neil Tully was arrested for attempted murder. A protective order was issued ordering Neil to stay away from Joshua. Neil would spend some time in jail. However, in a surprising turn of events, he was acquitted on the attempted murder charges and released. And that would not stop him from begging Marie to let him come home. She refused at first, but over time, she began to cave. First, she agreed to let him sleep in the shed in the yard. But as time passed, Neil was allowed to start sleeping on the couch inside of the home. But nothing had changed. Neil continued to drink and become violent with everyone in the family. It was a really scary situation. Neil had basically attempted to kill Joshua, and Jerome had testified against him, but nothing had been done. There had been no consequences for Neil. On August 12, 2013, just two days after Jerome's 14th birthday, things would come to a violent head. Neil and Marie were in the middle of one of their fights, and things began to get physical. Marie did something that she had never done before. She stood up for herself. 
she was getting sick of him complaining about her sons when all he did was drink. At one point, Neil screamed that he was going to go out to the back shed and get his axe. Joshua overheard this argument and he took this threat very seriously as Neil had already tried to swing an axe at him in the past. Joshua ran over to Jerome where he was playing video games and told him what he had witnessed. Jerome responded with his own concern. Just a week earlier, Jerome had broken into the shed in the backyard just to see what was inside, and he found the very same axe he had swung at Joshua was back. After hearing this, allegedly Joshua said, quote, We have to get him. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages. So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right. 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. From that point, the plan was hatched. It definitely wasn't a well-thought-out plan, but Joshua and Jerome would say that they were desperate because they felt like they were all in danger. The brothers decided it was time to eliminate the threat. After Neil had passed out drunk on the living room sofa, they moved in. First, they went to the kitchen and they grabbed two knives. And then they went into the living room and they attacked Neil as he lay on the couch. In total, they would stab him over 60 times, almost decapitating their stepfather. Once it was clear that he was dead, 
The brothers ditch the evidence by throwing the knives and their clothing into a nature reserve, and then they went on the run. Police would later learn that there was a suicide pact between the brothers, but neither Joshua nor Jerome had the guts to go through with it. The following morning, the household was just waking up. Marie, who had locked herself in her bedroom for the evening to protect herself from Neil, had no idea of the events that had taken place in her home overnight. So when she walked into the living room and found her husband Neil Tully lying on the couch in a pool of blood, she was in a complete state of shock. Instead of calling emergency services, she actually called her mother-in-law to tell her what had happened to Neil. It would take her about an hour to finally call emergency services, but it wouldn't really matter anyway because Neil had died from his injuries. An autopsy would reveal that he had died of blood loss. His jugular had been completely severed. The most severe wounds were directed at the neck, with one being three inches deep. Neil had apparently tried to fight back against the brothers, which was reflected in the wounds to his forearms, but he was no match. Joshua and Jerome Ellis would hide in the woods for two days before finally turning themselves in. They walked up to a local bell ringer and said, quote, we're killers. The boys would confess to their crimes, alleging that they believed Neil would kill them if he was allowed to live. He had tried to do it in the past. He had been cautioned with strangling Marie in a domestic dispute and then the attempted murder charge when he swung that axe at Joshua. They said that their only choice was to kill their stepfather, Neil, or be killed. Joshua Ellis would be tried as an adult, which makes sense. He was in his early 20s, but 14-year-old Jerome Ellis would also be tried as an adult. This was a highly controversial decision, with some believing that it was too harsh considering that he was only a teenager, a young teenager at that. The prosecution alleged that this was a premeditated murder. They refuted the claim of self-defense because Neil Tully was passed out drunk on the couch when they decided to attack him. At that point, he was no longer a threat and they were no longer in danger. But the defense team would point to past history. It was just a year prior that Neil had swung that axe on Joshua, and Jerome had to testify against his stepfather in court. Neil had a history of violence, and he had began drinking every day, all day. There hadn't been any real consequences for his actions, not even when he was charged with the attempted murder of his stepson. As for Jerome, he had to witness daily violence against his mother. His teachers would testify in his defense that he was a promising young man, but clearly was being neglected at home. Jerome would also take the stand, and he would say, quote, He, Joshua, told me we had to kill him. I saw that as the only option because he was a threat to everyone in the family, including me, my brothers, mom, and even his own children. In the end, Joshua Ellis would be found guilty of murder, as the judge believed that he was likely the most responsible for the killing out of the two brothers. He was the one who ran over to his little brother and told him, we gotta get rid of him. Joshua was given a life sentence with a minimum prison term of 14 years. The judge would tell Joshua, quote, 
It was your decision to kill him. You told your brother what you were going to do, and tragically, he chose to assist you. Neil Tully was in a drunk sleep when he awoke to find himself under a knife attack, and he had little chance of being able to defend himself. The murder was primarily carried out by you with a large knife, and you had made the deliberate attempt to kill him. As for Jerome, he was also tried as an adult, and he was found guilty of a lesser charge of manslaughter. He was sentenced to serve six years in prison. At 19 years old, he was released and given a new identity. The judge in his case spoke of the mitigating circumstances, like the many years of abuse in his home, even prior to moving in with Neil, and he reiterated that he believed it happened, quote, spontaneously and with a lack of premeditation. It's kind of interesting if you think about how the two brothers were viewed so differently, despite the fact of being raised in the exact same kind of environment. Though Joshua had been attacked with an axe by his stepfather in the past, the courts felt like he had planned the murder ahead of time, drumming up fear in his little brother Jerome to get him to join in on the plan. The courts instead provided sympathy for Jerome for the abuse that he suffered throughout the years, but they did not afford the same kind of sympathy for Joshua. Of course, age does come into play. Joshua was an adult. He was responsible for making adult decisions, while Jerome was only a young teen who very much looked up to his older brother. I tend to agree that in this case, he deserves the new chance that he's been given. But I would love to know what you think. Was this truly a case of self-defense? Did the two boys really feel as if killing their stepfather was the only way to keep themselves alive? Or do you think that they had other options and they simply wanted to get rid of their stepfather? Let me know what you think. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. I post things on TikTok, Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word, or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young Serial Napper. If you look it up, it should come up. I post all of my podcasts in audio and video format over on YouTube, so go check it out. Until next time, sweet dreams, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye.